Welcome everyone to another week of the Rose Bus. I am Karina Barris and I serve as a GRF in Rose, Maine. I'm also a second year doctoral student in anthropology and a native from the Bronx, New York. And I'll hand it over to my co-host. Hi, I'm Maggie. I'm a URF over in Founders Hall and I'm a senior in animal science. So I'm an undergraduate still. Fantastic. So we are your hosts for today. And for this week's episode, we have House Fellow Christopher Allaby, who's Professor of Chemical Engineering, and Alay Yapisi, Professor of Neuroscience and Behavior. Professor Allaby and Yapisi, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us this evening. Uh, so we'd like to start off learning a little bit more about both of you and some of your formative experiences. So this will be more of an oral history to learn about your upbringing and sort of your life trajectory to this point. So we will jump right into the first question, which is, can you tell us about where you grew up and what were some of the things that you enjoyed as a child? We can uh, start off with Professor um, Allaby. Sure. Thank you for that question. Um, so my upbringing um, this is actually fun because it brings back memories. Uh, so I was, I was born in Nigeria. Um, I was born in Lagos, Nigeria. Lagos used to be the capital, if, if you follow Nigeria at all. <laughs> Lagos used to be the capital of Nigeria and now it's Abuja. Long story, we're not going to get into that. Uh, but I was, born in, I was born in Lagos and uh, I grew up there until I was uh, 15. Uh, there, until I grew up with my sister until I was 15 and then I left when I was 15 for my A-levels in England. <clears throat> and so it's traditional in Nigeria, we, we were colonized by the British. And so we follow the British system for the most part. And so you do your O-levels and A-levels. And so I technically did my O-levels in Nigeria, did my A-levels um, in England before I came to the US. Um, things that I enjoy doing uh, as a kid is what I enjoy doing now, playing soccer. <laughs> <laughs> Um, you know, in Nigeria, you do two things, two sports. You either play soccer or you play ping pong. And I did both. But I ended up taking up with soccer and not much of ping pong. I mean, I still play ping pong, but, but I play a lot of soccer. And now I coach my kids in soccer and I watch soccer. And the rest is history, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. Well, hopefully later throughout the interview, we can hear a little bit more about whether or not that has any ties to what you do as a professor. But um... uh, I wish it did. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Professor Yupisi, if, if you can answer the question as well. Sure, thank you. First of all, thank you for this invitation. This is great. Uh, so I was, uh, I was born in Turkey uh, in a city in the north coast called Samsun. So I was there until I was six. Uh, then uh, my, my father worked for the government, so we moved a lot. Um, uh, I was basic, I went to primary school in, a, in the south coast, uh, in a city called Adana. It's like another big city in Turkey. Um, and then moved to the capital, which is Ankara for high school and for college to Istanbul. So, so basically I went to, I uh, finished college in Turkey and then I left the country basically at that point and moved to first to, to Vienna in Austria to do my graduate studies there. And then uh, I came to the US for postgraduate and now um, I'm a professor here. So um, so it's been like, I keep moving west pretty much. So I don't know where I will end up at some point, but it's literally going on the west direction for now, maybe west coast afterwards, but um, who knows. So if, as a kid, I will say that I was, I was a little hyperactive. So 
uh, on one side, I, I was a bookworm, so I read a lot. I basically read every book at, at home, at, I think. It's like from Barbara Cartland's romance, you know, uh, stories to the encyclopedias uh, about, you know, history, ancient worlds, how things work. So I was just like reading a lot. I also played soccer uh, in Turkey. Uh, although I have to say it's not a girl's sport in Turkey. So I was playing with the boys most of the time, which my mother was very angry at me. I was, she was like, you know, why are you playing soccer with the boys? That's not what girls do. So, but I did that. Uh, I also played basketball, uh, actually semi-professionally in high school and a little bit in college too, uh, before I actually got obsessed with science. So I guess that's like my upbringing. I mean, let me add one thing there, actually. So I, I coach the U10 boys team. And in fact, it's a, it's a co-ed team. And we have one girl on the team, Bella, and she's the best player on the team. I, I, <laughs> yeah. I, kid, you, I kid you not, she's the best player on the team. Yeah, um, I, without her. I have to say, I was very surprised when I came to U.S. and then girls were playing soccer. And then the U.S. women's soccer team is like the best in the world. They're amazing. I was like, you know, I should have just grow up here. You know, I was like so... Uh, much you know it was such like a taboo for me to play soccer in Turkey but it has changed a little bit now I think but I think still it's like it's mostly like a male dominated sport unfortunately. I also played soccer in high school so I can confirm it's a good sport but um so how did you guys become interested in fields like engineering and neuroscience was there a particular experience that led you pursuing a career in the field or like what what sparked your passion for that? I, uh, Dr. UPC, you can go first this time. Yeah, sure. Uh, so um, I was always very much interested in biology because I wanted to basically know how life worked. So that's why um, I got interested in genetics and molecular biology, and that was my major in college. Uh, but when I started college, the movie Matrix came out. Uh, the Keanu Reeves, you know, the brain basically the artificial intelligence and then the, you know, the computer simulations and so on. So I basically, I remember that this one scene where uh, I was studying it like a bio exam, I think. And uh, I remember watching the movie instead. And like this, like this moment where they are on the rooftop of a high building and they're trying to escape and there's a helicopter and they don't know how to use it. And then Trinity says like, you know, let me just like load that information into my, you know, simulation. And then now she's like an expert. And I was like, I wish I can just do that right now because, you know, I had this like so much text that I had to learn. So I started reading about that. I was like, you know, can you like interface a brain and a computer? Like, what do we know about? So I read and read and read and I realized we actually don't know much about that. So that's how I got interested in, neuroscience and you know I'm still trying to basically pursue that goal but that was one of the and I started after that I actually started a minor in psychology as well we didn't have a neuroscience uh, major uh, in my university so I kind of made my own biology slash psychology major and minor together to understand the neuroscience but that was the that movie was like the origin of my interest in the brain yeah, and for me, um, think back, I, I, I wasn't interested in, honestly, much as a kid, <laughs> except for sports. <laughs> but um, 
But uh, as I went through, I mean, there are two things that I really loved. I, I loved chemistry um, and I loved math, really. And I knew nothing about engineering. I had no idea what engineering was. I'd never really heard of it, I think, until my dad told me towards the end of high school. But I, I really liked math. I was a math whiz and I just, you know, I just loved doing calculations and I loved chemistry. And, um, and I think I distinctly remember we had these, uh, these row of encyclopedias at home, uh, which, um, you know, I, I poured through quite a bit as a kid. Um, and I remember just looking up chemical engineering one day and figured out, well, if you love math and you love chemistry, this, this might be something for you. And really that's how I got into it. And so, you know, when I, when I did my O-levels, I, again, I didn't do, I didn't take any engineering classes. I had no idea what it was. It wasn't until I got to college that, that I really looked into the major and thought that this would be something that would be of interest to me. I was always interested in making stuff, right? And, and I loved math, but I, I didn't like math just for, you know, it was almost like a hobby to me. It, it wasn't something that I thought I could make a career, but I just thought it was, you know, I just loved doing calculations. And so putting those two together uh, for me was sort of the next step, I guess. Um, but it was also one of those things that the more I did it, the more it grew on me, you know? Uh, I, I don't think I ever thought of myself as being a chemical engineer as a kid, but uh, it, it just combined two things that I think I, I really liked and things that I thought I was just good at. Um, and now that I know more about it, <laughs> I, can, I can talk about it all day <laughs> to you. Uh, it's a fun discipline. Um, yeah, so is there any particular moment in your undergraduate experience that you thought was really meaningful or something that really stood out to you that you could kind of share with some of the undergraduates that we have here with us tonight? Um, Dr. Alibi, you can go first. Yeah. Oh, that's an easy one. Research. <laughs> I was a lab rat in college. It's, it's about all I did. I mean, it was, um, you know, I started out freshman, sophomore year. I think I started, no, I started out in my end of my freshman year. Um, joining uh, Professor Schuster's lab. It was an organic chemistry lab. Um, in, I remember this is in the Brown Building in NYU. Um, and you really, really knew nothing about research at the point. I just figured, you know, again, I loved chemistry. This was chemical research. So was chemical research. It was interested in making uh, molecules that could undergo electron transfer. And, you know, it had a future applications in making electronic paper, for example. Um, and, and so making digital paper. And I, I, I just found that concept fun. And so I started working in that lab and, and boy, it was one of the things that transformed my experiences in college. I mean, it was my second home, really. I mean, it was where I spent all my time. Um, I did all my homework from that lab. I had really close friends in the lab and it, it just became a second home to me. And so that was, I would say, one of the more powerful experiences I had um, in my undergraduate uh, tenure. The second actually was, um, was connecting with the international community. And so I was an international student. Of course, I was coming from Nigeria and from England. And, and so I remember I, I ended up hooking up with uh, a bunch of, I think four or five other, other international kids. Um, I can't remember through, they had some international community there. Um, and then we all also ended up taking the honors general chemistry course and, and I'm still friends with all those, all those folks today. And so that experience was also powerful, having sort of a sense of community, uh, especially enough from, you know, being someone not from this country, um, I thought was a, was, a really, was a really powerful experience. I remember when I came here, um, 
I could barely understand what people were saying. You know, <laughs> I mean, even though, you know, I'd come from Nigeria, you know, and I, you know, we're colonized by the British, you know, and we spoke English and, and still, but then you go to England and you have to adjust and you have to adjust to the way people speak. And then you come here and boy, I thought people were speaking so fast. I just wanted everyone to just slow down for a second, just <laughs> parse your word. And, you know, and so that, that was a big adjustment. So I think being in that community sort of helped um, um, smooth my transition into the US system. And so I still remember a lot of my friends uh, from that community as well. So I guess like I have like two memories. I mean, there, I have multiple memories from college, but like I think one particular experience that I enjoyed a lot. So I, I'm the last child of my family. I have two older brothers. Um, but in college, I actually lived uh, with six other girls in a dorm. And uh, that was like an amazing experience. They were like kind of sisters to me. You know, we did everything. I mean, we did a lot of things together. The only thing that sucked was like, they were all um, social sciences majors. So they, all their classes were in the afternoon. And then I was a science major and all my classes was early in the morning. So I, had, I was the one like who was getting up early in the morning and just leaving the dorm. Um, the other experience that I remember is a research experience because I was a, I was a animal tech uh, for my psychobiology lab and I was taking care of rats. Uh, and um, I, my basic responsibility was to feed them, give them water. And then um, one, one month I was basically like, I kept feeding them and then the food will disappear. I mean, normally you, you have to feed them for every couple of days because you put them some food and then they, you know, eat in like three, four days and now you fill it again. But like this time, like the, I will put food and then the food pellets and they will just like disappear. So I was like going on the cages, right? Outside of the cages. So I was like, what's happening? You know, who's like taking this like mouse food? And um, one day after class, I went to the lab again. And then it was basically, then I saw a rat outside of a cage. They just like looking at me. And, and I basically, you know, tracked him. And then there was this fridge in the room. And then, and then the rat basically went behind it. And then I basically put my hat, squeeze it, and then tried to see like what's behind it. And there was this like big pile of rat food and he was sitting on it. I mean, it was like kind of this rat was basically obviously escaped somehow and was like collecting food under like behind the, like the fridge. Anyway, so then I had to just basically let my superiors know about that, but it took us a while to catch him. He was so smart. It was crazy. It was so smart. We had to like put a lot of traps and it took us like a week to catch them basically. But that was like a really interesting moment, but also like a very fun research moment, I would say. So, yeah. <laughs> Thank you for that story. I guess I am not a science major because I would have been on top of a table or something <laughs> running away. <laughs> um, so um, thinking more on your uh, college experience, are there things that you wish you would have done while you were in school or some that you wish you would have done differently um, and kind of walk us through that a little bit? And I guess we'll start with you, Professor Yapisi. Yeah, so I had a bad habit in college that I was so sucked into working in the lab 
you know, and that my, the exams, I will leave it to the last moment to study and it will be like a two, three nights overnighters trying to basically memorize everything. So I wish that I was a little bit more organized, you know, I passed everything, but you know, it was pretty much torturous to learn all a lot of the material. And I do not recommend anybody to do that the way that I did. Um, the other thing was like, I basically actually uh, started scuba diving in college. Uh, there was a club for scuba diving, but then I chickened out and then left the club because I, I'm a little claustrophobic. And so I didn't continue. I wish that I would have continued that because I still, I still want to learn to scuba dive, but now, you know, as you get older, it gets more difficult. So I wish that I would have done that too. So that was one of my regrets from college. Let's see, regrets, things I wish I would have done. Boy, that's a tough one. Um, I mean, <laughs> the things that I think I wish I would have done are things that I, I think that uh, students here, even in Kemi, still complain about to this day, which is, I wish I had just taken more classes outside of the Kemi discipline. You know, I wish I had had more time to just, exp I love, I love the educational system. I love taking classes. It's a weird thing. Actually, I, I enjoy sitting in class. I'm the kid that would sit in class and sit in front just because I just, I like the experience. The classroom is my home. I just feel comfortable in it. And so I just love taking classes. You know, I love taking classes. I love doing homework. I just love the whole class experience. And I wish, I wish I had had more time to explore other fields, you know? Um, I think all my advanced classes were all advanced chemistry classes or all advanced engineering classes. I never, I never just took something for fun. And I wish I had done that. I wish I had done, you know, looking back, I wish I had, I don't know if I didn't have enough time to, or I just didn't have the foresight to at the time, but obviously now uh, it would have been a fun thing to do, I think. Great. Thank you guys for sharing. Um, so, you know, now you've made it through college, you, you graduated, you know, you're living the dream. What did you guys do once you finished college? Where were you? What were you doing? What was your next step? <laughs> I don't know about living the dream, but sure. <laughs> um, um, see, so finished college, right? Um, applied directly to grad school, got into grad school. Um, and so I think I took that summer, that summer off. Um, I did explore industry as well. Um, I didn't take up any jobs going into industry just because I, you know, I, I thought I knew what I wanted to do. Um, probably something I wish I, I, I had done, you know, looking back at things now. Um, you know, I, I get to advise students that most of the folks that I advise are interested in industrial jobs. I've never held a job outside of academia before. <laughs> and so that experience would have been nice at some point. Um, but yeah, I mean, finishing college was definitely, um, was a happy moment, but I, I don't really recall what I did between then and in grad school. You know, it definitely wasn't a hoopla moment. It was a, all right, now this is done. Here comes the next five years of my life. <laughs> you know, research. It was fun. Um, but um, yeah, I don't really remember much. It was, it was just sort of a, all right, here's the next thing. Here's the next thing that is on your way. Okay, so I think um, I, yeah, I, I had a pretty similar trajectory. I finished college, 
And then I applied for grad school in the last year of college and when I was a senior and I got in. And then I applied to US. At that point, I was still like, oh, I want to be close to Turkey. So I mostly applied to the European programs in Germany and Austria and Switzerland. And then um, I basically went to Vienna because I actually had a friend there. Um, and uh, yeah, in Vienna, basically, it was, you know, it was four years of intense grad, uh, graduate school because it's, it's basically it's three plus one there that you have to finish. So it was uh, a lot of doing lab work and long hours, but I loved it. I mean, I, I love doing science. So for me, it was kind of like the perfect, as you said, like the dream happening, you know, when I was in Turkey, you know, we didn't have that many of the resources that I had when I was in Vienna. So, you know, I basically was like the, the, the kid in the candy candy shop that, you know, I had everything that I can like wish for, like all the, like the, the chemicals and the, the, you know, the animals that I can work with and, you know, and financial, you know, security, you know, I was making good amount of money as a graduate student. I do, US students don't like apply to Europe too much. I do recommend you do because you actually get paid pretty well as a graduate student in Europe. But um, yeah, so it was like, you know, my experience in Vienna was great, you know, um, yeah. Thank you. Um, so we're gonna pivot a bit uh, more now to ask you about what it's been like to teach and to walk us through that trajectory. Um, I guess just out of my own curiosity, if you can speak on it, if you'd like to speak on it. Um, also, what does that mean as both of you shared that, um, you know, your home countries are not the United States and if any of that has played a role into how you teach or uh, if you see any sort of differences in between the teaching styles in the U.S. versus um, the places where you did your own degrees. So I guess we will start off with you, Professor Yapisi. I know that's a big question, so I apologize. Uh, yeah, so, um, so I basically, uh, the other schools that I went to, so the, in, in, in Vienna, I was in an institute that was funded by Beringer Ingelheim. So it was a pharmaceutical company funding, mostly like a research institute. So I didn't TA or anything in graduate school. And I was a postdoctoral researcher at Rockefeller, which also didn't have an undergraduate student. So like Cornell is basically the first uh, institute that I work for that actually has undergrads. And for me, it has been a, you know, like a little bit of a learning experience, you know, teaching undergrads. Uh, but I, I like it. I really like, uh, you know, interacting with uh, my students. I like my small classes better than the, I will say that the big ones, because I actually can have a little bit of a personal interaction with the students more than the big ones. You know, the big ones, you have one or two students coming to the office hours, but mostly it's basically they come in and then they leave, except for after, right after the exam, I will say. So, um, and in terms of the teaching style, I think that's also like a, for me, like a work in progress right now. But I, I normally, I come from a system where the, we couldn't like tell, like basically call the professors by their name or anything. And here I actually prefer to do that. I tell them, you know, whatever you feel comfortable with, they, they want to call me Nilay, that's fine. If they want to call me Professor Yapuji, that's fine too. So I kind of like that I, I, I'm not a, like a person that likes hierarchy. It's like the, the way that I also run my lab. I like equality and I try to kind of approach my students um, as their peer, as much as that if they're 
feeling comfortable with. But obviously, you know, I know that I'm an authority figure and I can't be their friend. So I don't expect them to be my friends. But I like to kind of like have a conversation with them and like get to know them a little bit better, you know. And, um, and I think that basically I do reflect that in my teaching style as well. Obviously not in a big lecture hall, but uh, in my small class, uh, discussion class that I teach um, uh, every year. So I think um, that is basically, but teaching has been like an interesting experience for me um, and I do like it. So yeah, for me, um, I, I started teaching at quite early actually. So back in NYU that I completely forgot this, this was another experience that I actually enjoyed back in college. I, I got to uh, TA for the general chemistry class uh, studying in my sophomore year. And so I TA for, for, for quite a while, um, at least six or seven semesters, because uh, I did a five-year program. And so I, I TA'd for the general chemistry class and I started as one of the junior TAs and I became one of the senior TAs toward the end of my senior year. And that was a fun experience. You know, I, I definitely learned that you, you, you learn the subject so much better when you teach it. Um, and, uh, and so I, I got a lot of that early on. Um, I, I used to run sessions for a number of my friends and other classes as well. And so I'd gotten the TA experience down pretty early and I, and I knew I enjoyed that. Um, I never TA'd actually or taught in college, interestingly enough, because I was in a fellowship. And so never did it in college, never did it in, as a postdoc as well. And so I didn't teach at all again until I got here. And so it was really uh, a, a massive undergraduate experience and then nothing in grad school, nothing in postdoc. And then, and then I picked it up again <clears throat> when I got here. I, I think when I started teaching here, I was also lucky that I, I got to actually shadow one of the classes of um, as a professor in my um, my department, Mike Duncan, who who has won numerous teaching awards and he, he's great at what he does, and and that really opened my eyes to uh, a, a different way of teaching, uh, a definitely um, an organized way of teaching, uh, which which I adopted and and which I, I think I thrive on right now. Uh, with regards to my classes right now, I, I do enjoy it. I, I love to, you probably, you can get it from me right now. I love to talk and I, talk, <laughs> and I probably talk way too much. Even if I find that I never finish my lectures on time um, because I just enjoy, I enjoy the conversations a lot more. And right. And so I teach an intro to chemical engineering class and I teach a, luckily I teach a polymer chemistry class, which is directly in my field. And so with that, I, I get to chat with a lot of graduate students, which is just a lot of fun. I, I really enjoy, I really enjoy the, the give and take, right? I, I, I don't enjoy just lecturing to a blank class. Um, I enjoy when people ask questions. I enjoy when we just get into a conversation and we talk about things. And in fact, I think, you know, funny enough, I've, I've uh, because of the pandemic, I've actually switched and flip the classroom, I think, in a way that many others have started doing right now. And so in my new format uh, for the intro class, I record all the lectures ahead of time. I post the lectures um, and then I go into class in person and I just have a discussion. <laughs> and boy, is that fun. I find that way more fun than what I used to do before, because now I don't have to actually stand there and, and, and try and hurry up and finish my lecture in 55 minutes. Now the lecture is all posted and they've all watched it. And now we can just do what I love doing, which is just chat. <laughs> and so, so initially it was a little uncomfortable because I was like, you know, do you have any questions? And then I'll start going over stuff in class. And I think now 
it's just lively. You know, they come with questions, they ask questions, we talk about it for about, we talk about it for about 20, 25 minutes, maybe half an hour, and then the TAs present their stuff. But, but I really like that format. And, and, and I think I might just adopt it permanently moving, <laughs> moving, moving forward. And so, yeah, that's been my teaching experience. You know, it's, it's vastly different from what I grew up with. You know, I grew up with a very strict authoritative teaching figure in front of you and you kept quiet and you listened in class and you, you know, you could ask a question if you were brave enough. Um, but it really wasn't a give and go. It was a give and assimilate and, and take it in or else. And so, yeah, it's quite different from what I grew up in for sure. Uh, but I think my experiences over, over college, um, and, and, and what I saw here when I shadowed, uh, a really good teacher, I think, shaped my, my teaching philosophy moving forward. Great. And so what is your favorite part of teaching and working in your particular field of study? Is there something that really stands out to you about engineering and neuroscience as far as working in the field that, you know, really excites you um, with what you're doing right now? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll take that first. For me, um, you know, I, <laughs> interestingly enough, I never really took, I never took biology in high school. I never took bio in college either, even though I, I do a lot of biological sciences right now. I just never was interested in it back then. And it's all I do right now in, in, in a funny way. And so what I really enjoy doing as a chemical engineer is, is quantitating biological sciences. I love the quantitative part. And I love to bring the quantitative part and take it out of sort of the chemical process science and bring it into the biological science. Uh, in a way that really hasn't been looked at before. Uh, doing the same thing with polymers, taking uh, sort of polymer science out of your traditional polyethylene, polypropylene, your traditional polymers, and bringing it into a field that just hasn't seen these kinds of synthetic materials before and trying to understand, one, how to interface those two fields, but also um, really just how to model and quantitate uh, processes in biology, specifically for me as it pertains to as it pertains to drug delivery. And so that part of my research and my work, I do enjoy. Um, with regards to teaching, I think I just said it, I, I love talking to students. I just love picking people's brains. <laughs> yeah, so, um, so in terms of like teaching neuroscience, uh, I really, so in my, the neural basis of decision-making class, I, my, the final project is the students need to uh, propose uh, a project and experiments and kind of like uh, write uh, a two, three page report about like, what do they expect? Like why they are proposing that. And I'm always amazed with the ideas they come up with. It has to be about the neuroscience of decision-making, but uh, it has been like a great experience that, you know, the proposals that I actually uh, that they have written uh, over the years. And I wish that I actually have time and money to do all those experiments. It will be amazing. That would be actually like a dream true if I can actually get some funding to actually get these students to do those projects. Maybe it has to be probably more than a half a semester, but that's been great about neuroscience teaching. Um, uh, in terms of like my, my lab um, and brain research, you know, what's not to like about brain. I mean, you know, it's still a mystery. We, we basically scratch this. I mean, they say like, you, know, you use your 10% of your brain. That's not, that's not true. We don't know how much of the brain we use or, you know, what exactly. We do know a little bit about the brain, I would say, but there is like so much that we still have to learn. And um, 
I'm, I'm always amazed that, you know, we have these tools nowadays that we can uh, put these molecules called opsins, which are light activated channels into neurons uh, of an animal, you know, fly or a mouse, and then just shine light and activate that neuron and the animal does something. And that's always like, it's been like fascinating to me, you know, you just like basically you can make, you can remote control an animal to do something. Um, so that's been fascinating. So I'm like really still, you know, I do feel sometimes depressed that I feel like the more we learn about the brain, the more we realize we don't know. So that's a little bit, you know, um, makes you feel like, are we ever going to solve this puzzle? But it also makes it very, very um, motivating and exciting. Um, and so this is a little bit of a more personal question, but are there any particular challenges that you faced in getting where you are now? Like, was there anything that you feel really held you back or, and how did you overcome that? I think Dr. Yipitsi, you can go first. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, getting a tenure track position in an uh, institution is definitely a challenging path, right? I mean, it's not only, so it's like a pyramid, like, you know, you start grad students, and then postdocs, and then there's like this bottleneck where you need to find like a, you know, a tenure track position in a, you know, in an institution. So that's, that has been, you know, I was lucky enough that, you know, that I, my project worked during my graduate school and postdoc that I was able to basically publish high profile journals. Uh, I do say that it's luck because I do think that there's always luck involved, uh, whatever you do, although that you do have to be persistent, but I do think that there's a lot of people out there who are really good scientists, but they don't end up having like a job like we do right now. So that's been challenging. I mean, being a woman in science also can be sometimes, you know, challenging as well in terms of like you, you do especially in my position right now that, you know, you do look around and then there are not that many of us uh, in my position, right? So you kind of feel a little lonely sometimes. Uh, so, but you feel good that you made it there, but then now you're like uh, in the, you go into a room and then there's basically mostly um, male colleagues that are sitting right next to you. So, and you're basically the minority in the room. So that kind of becomes challenging. Um, so there's about, you know, uh, even though that there are challenges, this job is like definitely, if you ask me, would you do anything else? I won't. So like, that's like, that, that never has changed in my mind. Although that has been, you know, it has not been easy, but I would do it again. So challenges, um, I, I would, I'd say two, maybe one is um, overcoming self-doubt. Um, and I think that and, the, and, the, and, and what makes you overcome that really is having strong mentors. And so I've just been, I've been blessed my entire life to have really, really good mentors, right? Um, both on the undergrad level, pushing me to, to apply to grad school, uh, which initially I wasn't going to do really, wasn't even my radar. Uh, if, if my grad advisor hasn't put that on my radar, I probably wouldn't have done it. Um, but also going from, from being in graduate school to, you know, you know, you're sort of steeped in what you're doing and what you're working on and to be able to sort of, you know, get your head out of the water and realize that, yes, I do want to be a faculty member. Um, there's a lot of doubt in that. Can you do that? You know, are you good enough to do that? And I think, um, 
you know, there are those that are just super confident and, and, and can sort of rise above it all. But, but for me, it was, it was my mentor again. It was my, it was my grad advisor who, um, you know, pulled me aside on, on numerous occasions, you know, whispering in my ear telling me, hey, you're better than three quarters of the people out there. You have to do this. And so, and boy, I mean, the effect that that has on a young student is just, it's, it's I, I can't describe it. I can't, I, you know, those words coming out of someone that you look up to, I think for me was extremely powerful. Um, and so, and so I credit a lot of where I am and, and being able to overcome those fears, I think, or at least that self-doubt to, to my mentors, right? And I think, and I think it's really important to have, to have a strong mentor. So for me, you know, sure, there were, there were obstacles, but there weren't, most of them weren't technical obstacles. Most of them were just internal obstacles that I think uh, I had to overcome uh, to see that I could be well, I could be in a position that I currently am. Um, you know, left to my own devices, I probably would have just ended up, ended up in industry, not that there's anything wrong with ending up in industry, but, but that was just the next default of what I probably would have done. I wouldn't have seen where I am as, as a place that I could be. Um, and so, so that would be one. The second would be in the job itself on the way to getting tenure. You know, it is, it is a stressful job. Um, no other way to put it it's just it's a lot of work it's a lot of stress it's more stress when you have a family um and so i think i think there are obstacles there in terms of in terms of just work-life balance right there's a real obstacle there and so that's something i think everyone has to sort of determine for themselves um and i think for most people it eventually works out for me it did um but but it was challenging for sure um, you know, I think we're all sort of wired and determined to sort of get through processes, but, but one has to be very careful because it is a, it's a fine balance that you have to, <laughs> that you have to, that you have to play. You do want to succeed. You do want to get tenure, but, but you do have a family, you know, and, and you have to, you have to, hopefully everyone is talking to the right people. But again, I think having people close by and having friends and having strong mentors to be able to you know, just to be able to talk things through, I think is, is important. Right? And so for me, those, I would say those were perhaps the two major challenges. Um, thank you both so much for sharing that. Uh, it definitely resonates a lot with me, at least at the graduate level, um, as it feels like I'm closer to that than I am to where I was as an undergrad. But um, in any case, if I, I guess we're going to pivot again just a little bit and ask if you can maybe share uh, what are some of your favorite parts of living and working in Ithaca that might be helpful for um, our students to learn about as maybe some things that they could get involved in or learn a little bit more about the um, Ithaca community. <laughs> I, <laughs> I laugh because I go to work and I come home, really. <laughs> and so, no, no, no. I mean, okay. So there are literally four locations that I go to. I, I mean, two locations other than work and home. It's, it's the soccer field. And so <laughs> folks want a really nice soccer field. There's one in Lansing, right? The Lansing ball fields is fantastic. There's like six or no, about eight different soccer fields set up there. And, and honestly, that's where I spend, I think, all my time. If I'm not at home or if I'm not at work, you will find me at the Lansing Ball soccer fields. Uh, and also the fields right behind my house. I think I love going there as well. But, but other than that, you know, I, I am a, um, <laughs> I'm probably a poor citizen of Ithaca that I really haven't gone 
I mean, the places I've gone to are places where kids go to, and I don't think any undergraduate student will want to go to um, to a play park. <laughs> maybe they will. Maybe that's interesting to you guys. I don't know. Um, but yeah, to me, the Lansing ball fields would be my favorite place, I think. Yeah, I think it's like, see, here's like one big difference, I guess. You know, I don't have kids. I only have two dogs. So uh, we actually go a lot uh, in Ithaca. And, um, you know, we moved from New York City. So it was kind of a change for us uh, to move to a small city like Ithaca. And initially, we were a little bit worried. Oh, my God, you know, what are we going to do? But um, it actually turned out to be great because we actually now... When you go back to New York now, we can't go actually because it's terrible uh, of the, because of the pandemic. But um, uh, now we're like, oh, how did we live in this like dirty, loud city? So I, I really enjoy Ithaca. I think partially, I think there's really good food here. There's like great restaurants. I love North Star. It's a, it's, I strongly recommend it. It's, uh, you can do takeout right now. Um, my partner really likes the Press Alley. So there's like a coffee shop there called Press. We go there every weekend uh, with the dogs. Uh, I also really like going to the parks around. So the Takana Falls Park, we go out there and uh, Lansing. And we recently went hiking in Watkins Glen. So that was also a really good experience. I recommend all those things. But in general, you know, just like going, if you, if you have a car, you need to have a car, I guess. In Ithaca, that's one thing that I have learned. I didn't really drive that much before I moved to here, but now I'm driving all the time. So, um, so I think as long as you have some kind of like a commute, like you know, way of like driving around, I really just like, especially right now, it's so beautiful out there. The the weather is nice. The the fall trees are kind of changing color, so it's like really nice to go to Lake Seneca, to wineries if you're obviously over 21. Um, so I think, I think there's a lot to, the, to be done around here. It's beautiful. It's just like an amazing, you know, um, uh, nature. But um, just kind of thinking a little more broadly here, this kind of relates to something, Dr. UPC, that you said about being a woman in STEM, is um, we just recently had the historic um, winners of the Nobel Prize, two women just won the Nobel Prize um, for their gene editing techniques. So what does that, what are your guys' thoughts on that? And what does that mean to you as professors in, in STEM? Um, and particularly a woman in STEM, as you brought that up before. So um, whoever wants to go first. I can start, I guess. Um, so I think it's amazing, right? You know, a lot of people have been criticizing Nobel Prize that it goes to men mostly. So I was really, really happy that the chemistry, interestingly, I don't know if it was like the right, you know, you think that CRISPR DNA editing will go in biology, but it was in chemistry. Regardless, I'm not complaining. And I actually met uh, Emmanuel Carpenter in person at Rockefeller when I was a postdoc there. So that's also kind of, I have like a, now I know a person, like personally a Nobel Prize winner. And she's like an amazing, really nice, like humble person, very easy to talk to. So. I'm really happy, you know, that women are being recognized more in science and being basically celebrated for their discoveries. Um, and I think it's really important because I think it's really important to have uh, role models in science because, you know, you need to see that it was really like meaningful for me that I had a woman mentor when I was a postdoc because I kind of observed her and see her like how she dealt with 
uh, you know, get her way around in science, scientific world. And, you know, I try to do the same now. So I think it's really, really important that young women see that, you know, like that like a, a woman can like get a Nobel Prize so that, you know, they can think that they can do it too. So, you know, so I think in that perspective, it's really important. On the scientific level, I think the DNA editing CRISPR technology has been very much like a game changer in pretty much any organism. And it has a lot of medical applications too. So uh, I think it was a well-deserved um, Nobel Prize. And I think it went to the right people because there were multiple people who were kind of being uh, nominated and worked on DNA editing and CRISPR. But I'm, I'm still happy that it went to two women, so it's good. Yeah, same here. I mean, I think um, I think I share the same thing with you that I thought it should have gone to biology, not chemistry, <laughs> but that's besides the point. I think, you know, I think, but this started, you know, I, I was really proud when he actually also went to uh, Frances Arnold two years ago for a Nobel Prize in chemistry. She was from, you know, she was one floor above me when I was doing my uh, PhD studies at Caltech, and that was super exciting. Um, and I know Frances, and I thought that was, that was, a, that was a great accomplishment. And so... You know, seeing that happen more often, you know, is, is, I think is a positive thing. I think, I think every person, you know, be it, you know, a young uh, person of color, be it, be it, be it a woman uh, of females, everyone needs a, a role model and everyone needs a role model in their image. And, and I can't tell you enough what it does to people when they see that, you know, I mean, you know, the same thing, I felt the same way when Barack Obama was president, it was like, it was just great. It just felt good. You know, I can't quantify it, but it felt good. And I think, and I think, I think the more, I think the more people see recognition going to the right people, but also going to the right people that, that look like them. Uh, I, I think it's just a powerful thing for, for young kids all over the world. And so uh, I think it was great. Uh, and, and I just looking forward to see, see more of that happen. Awesome. Thank you both so much. And we are nearing the end of our time with you. So our last question for you is, are there any words of wisdom that you'd like to share uh, with the students? Or is there anything else that we may have missed that you maybe wanted to touch on a little bit more to, for us to learn more about who you are? Hmm. Words of wisdom for students. Uh, you know, they've probably heard this before, but, but cherish your time in college. I mean, everyone says it, it goes by fast. Boy, does it go by fast. Boy, does it go by fast. Cherish your time in college. You know, this is the only time where you will get to be in a community of your peers um, with your mind open, having the ability to take courses really across the college. Um, you know, don't be so narrow-minded like the way I was um, and be so tunnel vision into what you're doing, which is important. But, but you don't realize it until you sort of you step out of it to know how much access you had at the time um, and how much more you could have done. And so uh, I, I, would, I, would tell, I would tell the students, explore, explore. It's a learning experience. It's a learning experience not only in the classroom, it's a learning experience outside of the classroom as well. And it's a unique experience that I think really, really only comes at, at this unique time, um, unique time in their lives. Um, I guess like the one advice or kind of verse of wisdom that I can give to anybody to also the students is I think 
you know, have fun. I think it's like, it's, it's important to have like a good work and life balance. So you do have to have some fun in your life. You can't just work all the time. But the, the other thing, but when you work, be persistent. Because, you know, like when, when we do experiments, like 90% of the time, everything falls apart. You know, 10% of the time we find something, okay? And the, that the goal is to be basically just like keep pursuing the, the you know, the, 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 the point that where you want to get to. And I have seen a lot of smart, I work with a lot of smart people in my life, probably like a, some smarter than I am. And, um, and not, all, not all of them actually managed to maintain in the system. And I think the, real, the reason was like, they were not really, like they didn't have the grit. They basically, you know, got disappointed and then they were like, okay, you know, and that's fine too, you know, but, but I think like, if you really want to get to somewhere, you have to learn to live with failure because everybody fails, you know, they can tell you that there's basically, you can ask anybody like there's not a single person that hasn't failed in their life, but they keep doing, you know, look at Elon Musk. I don't really like him too much, but you know, he has like bankrupt so many companies before he, or like his rockets like were blowing up in the sky before, you know, now they're in, in going uh, out of the atmosphere. So I do think believe in yourself, have fun, but also be persistent and don't be scared of failing. And I'll add one thing to that. Um, I, I would say find a good mentor find a good mentor, it's, it's super important. Uh, I, I don't think I, honestly, as an undergrad, I didn't do it. I was lucky to have one because I worked in a lab and that really became my champion. But, but all through my life, as I've, as I've said, I think having a strong mentor is key. Having someone that has done it before you and can give you advice is key. I feel like maybe, you know, students don't see much of the importance of that, but, but you'll need it and it will help. And even at this stage, I just, I, I like talking to people that are ahead of me. I like talking to people that are older than me just to see what's coming in life. You know, and I think at every stage, everyone needs a really good mentor. And so I would say seek one out. Seek one out if you're working in the lab. Seek one out if, it, if it's academic, if it's sports, whatever you're into. I think um, having a good, strong mentor is important at this stage of your life. Like you said, thank you for joining us. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in as always. Uh, next time, our uh, Rosebud episode will be on October 28th, so don't forget to keep an eye out for that, um, and we'll talk to our next set of house fellows. But um, with that being said, have a great night, guys. Dr. UPC, Dr. Alavi, thank you for joining us. Bye.